the word of our Lord from the epistle to the Hebrews. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Lord, we pray that you would bless the reading of your word. Would you bless it to our hearts and to our minds and would you bless it to our lives. May we be shaped by it. May we be challenged by it. May we be uplifted by it. In the name of your Son, Jesus, we pray. Amen. If our culture is ever to be healed, it'll be through the renewal of the local church. As I was, um, I met for coffee a couple of weeks ago with, with, with Dan Lorimer, um, David and Christy's son-in-law. They were here with us for worship a couple of or so weeks ago. And so he and I got together for coffee. And as we were talking, we were talking about how culture is developed and how it's shaped. And it seems that it begins with the person. You know, I can't expect the world to be better if I'm not better. I can't be, expect the world to be loving if I'm not loving. I can't expect the world to be compassionate if I'm not compassionate. And that's a very, it's a very obvious fact, but it's a very overlooked fact, overlooked to our detriment. Because it's so easy to watch the news and bemoan what's going on in the world and do absolutely nothing to change it. It is very easy to sit and watch the news and get riled up and angry about how everyone else is so angry. I mean, it, the irony is, is, is thick. It's thick. But we can bemoan what's going on around us and we can get vehemently angry about it and we can get frustrated about it. We can despair over it. We can be despondent over it. We can do all those things. We can go through all the gamut of emotions related to everything that's wrong with the world. But unless we do what G.K. Chesterton did in response to... Let me finish that thought. Unless we do what G.K. Chesterton did, the world will never be changed. And so what did he do? Well, he responded to a... Um, uh, to the title of an article in a local paper. It said, what's wrong with the world? It was a great question. What is wrong with the world? And he wrote back, sent in a letter and said, Dear Editor, in answer to your question, what is wrong with the world? I am. Now, G.K. Chesterton was a great and godly man. He was a fantastic Christian thinker. But what he knew was nothing will change out there unless it first changes in here. Culture will never change unless the human heart is changed. 
And so we begin with the person. And notice I'm using the term person, not individuals. It, it is, it's obvious that there are individuals. I am an individual person. Jim here is an individual person. We are all individual persons. But there is no such thing as an individual existentially. Like experientially, we all come in groups. We all come in families. Everybody has a mommy and a daddy. None of us originate in ourselves. None of us find life in ourselves. None of us can even sustain life wholly in ourselves. We've got to be somewhere, find something. Persons are by nature relational beings. It's part of who we are. It's part of how God has programmed and wired us. And so what He does, He brings the human person up into a family. And the one of the great tragedies of our culture is the erosion of the family. The erosion of even the distilling of values. Even if we disagree with those values, it seems like we are so hyper-individualized that, that even parents think they've got no right to instill values in their children. Just leave them alone like an ostrich and maybe they'll hatch and you know, find their own way because we think somehow this free-spiritedness is, is, uh, is a great thing. But it is destroying and dismantling our culture because it is destroying and dismantling our souls. And so God brings us up in the context of a family But God wants more than just family ties. He wants those close-knit, valued family ties to spill over into community. And how does He do that? He does that through the local church. You know, in the church, God gets us past nature. He gets us past the natural order of things. He gets us past our natural desires. Part of our natural desires are to protect ourselves and to protect our own. We care about people we're brought up in families with. In fact, we get angrier oftentimes at our family than we do about others who are doing the exact same thing because Family matters. Family we care about. Family is something we're passionate about. We don't want to see our kids doing something dumb. We don't want to see our, our, our siblings going down roads that are not meant to go down. We don't want to see you know, our, our parents being embarrassing, even though your neighbor's parents are embarrassing. But in the church, we get beyond just mere biological family. We also get beyond, we get beyond uh, adoptive family. In the church, we get off into the realm of covenantal relationships where people who are not related to one another, people who don't work at the same job together, people who don't even work in the same industry together, People who have varied backgrounds and varied life experiences. Some who were raised up in broken homes. Others who were raised up in traditionally kept together homes. Some who've lost 
loved ones, some who've lost mom and dad, some lost mom and dad at an early age, a far too early age. We all have different backgrounds and different life experiences. And God gets us beyond ourselves and even beyond our family out into His family. And He does that through the local church. And so one of the things that Dan and I were thinking about and wrestling with were were how those circles, is it concentric? Yeah, concentric circles. There's circles that have the same center or share the same center. How those concentric circles work out. You've got the person, you've got the family, you've got the local church. And it's in that sort of radiating context that culture begins to be shaped. And so again, if our culture is ever to be healed, it'll be through the renewal of the local church. The local church. This church. The church up the road. The church back that way. If our culture is ever to be healed, it will be through the renewal of the local church. Why the local church? Well, there is no Catholic church, no worldwide, global, cosmic church without the local church. In the creeds, we say we believe in the holy Catholic church and we're reminding ourselves that that what we believe, the faith that we hold is bigger than just us. It's not just this small knit together group. We're a part of something bigger, something worldwide, something global, something that transcends geography and also transcends time. But it's so easy to value the church out there while we bemoan the church in here. If I recall Plato and Aristotle and their disagreements um, well, here, here's what I, I think I recall about them. You remember the, um, what's it called? The School of Athens, famous painting where Plato's pointing up and he's walking there beside Aristotle and Aristotle's pointing down and everybody else is just kind of sitting around on steps and whatnot, eating turkey or something. I don't know what they're doing. Uh, they're talking and philosophizing and whatnot. And Plato's pointing up saying that the forms, the ideas, that's reality. This is just a shadow. This is, this is not real reality. The idea is the reality. And Aristotle's saying, no, 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 no. It's not the, the forms and the ideas. It's, it's the tangibles. It's, it's, it's here. It's, this is what is reality. It was Aquinas who came along in the medieval church who said, they're both right and they're both wrong. If you think about the local church there, and its relationship to the global church or the Catholic church, there is no church out there if there is no church in here. In the same way that there is no idea of a chair without there being an actual chair. It is far too easy to think, well, I don't need 
the local church. I don't need what we have on Sunday mornings. I don't need these brothers and sisters because I'm connected to the cosmic body of Christ. And we sell ourselves short and we distort the work of God if we buy into that false idea. There is no Catholic church, no church out there without the local church, without the church in here. But there is no Christian faith without Christian community. It's part of God's image in us. We are relational beings. God created us for community. He stamped His image on us. And before He did so, He said, let us make man in our image. The image in which we were created and the image of God that in which we are redeemed is a relational and a communal image. And so there is no such thing as Christian faith, Christian belief without Christian community. Came across a quote this week. Uh, Lindsay got her hands on a, um, a uh, pre-edited, pre-released book. That I, and I'm a slow reader, but um, I'm trying to get that thing read before, uh, before it's, it's edited and released and whatnot. But in it, I ran across a quote that said, Churchless Christianity is an oxymoron. The scriptures are quite plain that we can't claim to have faith with Christ if we divorce ourselves from his body. If we separate ourselves off in our own little cocoon, our own little privatized faith, there's no such thing as privatized Christian faith. That's some other faith. It's not Christian faith. It's certainly not biblical faith. Because there is no Christian faith without Christian community. We need one another. We need what we have here. We need these relationships that God is weaving together in our lives. And there is no personal salvation without personal presence. Why does the local church matter? Why is the local church a necessity? Because there is no personal salvation without personal presence. It is the local church that is the presence of God in its local community. Redemption in Christ came through flesh and blood. The Gospels tell us that He became like us. He became one of us. He took on our flesh. He took on our humanity. He became what we are, the church fathers said, so that we might become like Him. And so redemption in Christ came through flesh and blood. It came through real personal presence. We call it the incarnation, the enfleshment. And incarnation is God's way of redeeming the world. But this real personal presence is by necessity a local thing. When Jesus was at the wedding in Cana of Galilee, He was not simultaneously down in Jerusalem. His presence 
was local. And that's how God works in the world. He works in local things, in particular places, in particular moments even. And if the offering of the church to the world is personal salvation, it cannot offer that on some cosmic scale, on some theoretical or idealized scale. It can only offer it through the local church. It can only offer personal salvation through personal presence. We are the body of Christ in our community. That is not to the exclusion of others. It's not to say they aren't the body. It's not to say they aren't the body. You know, we're surrounded by local churches. But it is to say that if God doesn't work through us, through whom can He work? Through whom will He work? If my neighbors don't see the presence of Jesus, then where will they? The local church is a benefit. It's a benefit to us in a number of ways. It's a benefit in some very um, some very often overlooked ways. We often like to think about what are the practical benefits to me, but let's think first about some kind of big benefits. One is that God demands that you live in Christian community. That's a, a biblical reason why the church is a benefit to us. Why is it a benefit? Well, because God demanded that I be a part of Christian community, that I find myself in a worshiping and, and transforming relationship with others who know Him and love Him. And so if I want to obey God, then Christian community and the local church is a necessity. It's a necessary thing, and it benefits me in my obedience to God. But it's also a benefit for a, a, a more theological reason, in that only in real community is God's image clearly seen. In fact, if I'm isolated, off by myself, if I cut myself off from others, His image in me begins to deteriorate. We see it um, very poignantly expressed in a a couple of uh, popular movies, Castaway being one for the older ones among us. And, uh, and Passenger being a, a newer one. Both of them, if you haven't seen them, both of them show the, the insanity that can take place when a person cuts themselves off from relationships. Neither of them on purpose, but we sometimes ourselves do push others out and keep, everyone else at arm's length and we do so to our detriment because God is a relational person or relational trinity of persons and he's made us 
in his image. And that image is necessarily relational. Only in real community is his image seen clearly. Not fake community, not contrived community, not in going through the motions type of community, but in real community. Real people really sharing real life together. But the local church is a benefit to us also for an even more practical reason. You really can't live a faithful Christian life alone. You weren't meant to and you weren't expected to. God has surrounded you by people to strengthen you. He has surrounded you by people to hold you up. He has surrounded you by people who call you out. We don't like that, but I'm glad my kids have that. I'm glad my kids have people in their lives. Of course, me and Lindsay, but also some of you. And some in our neighborhood who will call out stupidity when they see it. Because we all need people in our lives. Some, we think we grow out of that. And you know, by the time we reach 14, 15, we're kind of on our own and whatnot. But we, we never grow out of the, the need for others to call out our stupidity. You and I can't live a faithful Christian life alone. For one thing, because God demands that we not try to live the Christian life alone, so therefore we can't faithfully live it alone. It's a non-starter. But anyone who's tried to live a Christian life on their own, in their own strength, by their own effort, with no source of outside strength, just them and their Bible and prayer. And I know you'll say, well, the Bible and prayer are certainly a source of strength. And yes, I'll give you that. But they call us to relationships with others. Any of us who've tried to live the Christian life alone have found that we, not for long, will be living a Christian life. So let's face a few realities about living in Christian community because this is, I mean, you're here. So I expect that you, the local church, Christian community is kind of a given in your lives. Let's face a few realities about living together in community. Living together in community can be a bit uncomfortable. It can be awkward. It can be weird. Being around others in in close quarters and kind of rubbing up life together. It's not uncomfortable just for introverts. For those of us who are extroverts, it can sometimes be uncomfortable. You remember the Proverbs say that iron sharpens iron. And by sharpening one another, or they sharpen one another by grinding against by bumping up against and that's not very comfortable G.K. Chesterton said that um, that God uses 
the aggravations of others in our lives in order to sanctify us, in order to purify us, in order to, to, to cleanse us of ourselves, God is willing to use others who aggravate us, others who let us down, others who disappoint us, others even who annoy us. C.S. Lewis in his um, um, screw tape letters said that's one of the reasons why, the, why Satan wants to keep us from the local church on Sundays. He wants us to remember the annoying person beside us. He wants us to remember the person with the bad breath. He wants us to remember the person who can't sing in the right key. He wants us to, to think about all those aggravation things so he can keep us out from here because in here is where God meets us and transforms us. The Apostle Paul in his epistle to the Colossians, as he's describing the character of those who have faith in Christ and those who are being transformed by Him, he's, he sees community as, a, as a, an assumed reality for us. And he, he calls the local church to bear with one another and to forgive one another. Because he knows that living in community is sometimes uncomfortable. It sometimes tempts us to think that it's unbearable. That it's not worth it. That the wrong that others have done to us, knowingly or unknowingly, isn't right and ought not be excused. Living in real community can be uncomfortable. And that's okay. It's okay that we're an awkwardly small congregation in an awkwardly large auditorium. Like you, every week when I invite somebody to come, I always warn them, now we're a really small church in a really large place. We're like, toddlers walking around with mom and dad's shoes on or something kind of it's weird unlike the toddler it's not cute it sometimes can be frustrating but that's part of living in community together at least for now for us It can be uncomfortable and it can be inconvenient to live in community together because those who live in real community together sometimes answer the phone far too late at night and end up having to rework schedules and all sorts of other time and emotional toils that are placed upon us that are really inconvenient for us who live in real community together. Jan, you might not remember, but a few years ago, you and Lindsay and I were talking, and uh, we were talking about someone who had passed away, and you said, death is never convenient. It never happens at a convenient time for either the dying or those who are left behind. It's always an inconvenience. 
it is always an imposition on our plans and our time and our emotions. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, and I believe I used this quote just a couple of weeks or so ago, that when Jesus calls a man, He bids him come and die. In the Gospels, Jesus invites us to come and to die to ourselves, to die to our wants, to die to our desires, to die to our conveniences, to die in the world that is surrounded by convenience and quickness and ready availability. Real community, which Jesus invites us into, can be awfully inconvenient. But again, God is shaping us. God is working in us. And God, through working in us, through this community, holds out the promise of being able to change the whole world. Living in community, in real community, can sometimes be unfair. In relationships, it always seems to work out that there are givers and takers. In an ideal world, in an ideal family, in an ideal church, in an ideal relationship, you know, we're, we're all givers and nobody's takers. We're all concerned with one another. We're all concerned with what we can contribute to the family, what chores we can do. Don't you wish your kids were asking, hey, what can I do to help out around the house a little bit more? I feel like I haven't done enough yet today. Wives, don't you wish your husbands say, let me change the diaper, it'll be fine. In not just those cute ideas of family, but in the Christian family, in Christian community, there's sometimes an unfair an unfair burden of responsibilities that rests on us. Even in the local church, there are givers and there are takers. You know, the standard against against which we are measured is not our neighbor. It's not the guy living next to me It's not the person sitting in front of me. It's not the person who's not here. The standard against which our lives are measured is Jesus. Not someone else. Not even a good someone else. And God calls us into community to share life together and to give of ourselves. He calls of us to give of ourselves through our finances. Bill, these are moments when I'm glad I don't know who gives what. I'm glad I don't see checks. But God calls us to tithe, to give. To give sacrificially. And you know, I don't think there's a person alive who doesn't, who doesn't have to sacrifice something in tithing. 
even the wealthiest are still relinquishing something that our nature tells us is ours by right. But God tells us that every gift we have is from Him. It's all His. Even the cattle on a thousand hills. Being the local church is also more than just an hour on Sunday mornings. It's it's about sharing life together and that doesn't just happen in the context of a worship service. But living in community, in real community, it is easy it is easy to constantly be looking to someone else and wondering why they're not doing their part. Why they're not here. Why they didn't show up to help with that. Why they're not giving. And we forget that God's demand on our lives is not to measure ourselves by them and not to pat ourselves on the back and be filled with pride in who we are and how we're better than them or how we've got it more together than them or how we're more sacrificial than they are. But He's constantly calling us to step toward Jesus. What's that next step? Because living in real community can sometimes be uncomfortable, it can sometimes be inconvenient, and it can sometimes be unfair. But the Lord beckons us on. He bids us come and die. Come and take another step toward the cross. If our Christian community doesn't make these sorts of impositions on us personally, then we're compelled to ask according to the plain reading of the Bible and the plain reading of Christian history and the witness of the church, how viable and defensible is our Christian faith? I don't want to make church unpurposefully awkward. And because it can sometimes be uncomfortable and because it can sometimes be inconvenient and because it can sometimes be unfair, it's, it, it's, it's, um, it's easy to be tempted to think that, oh, well, that's just community. That's just, you know. But there are benefits to us real, tangible, actual benefits to me and to you, to, to each other as we come together and live in community together. And that aren't just big ideas, but are actual daily, weekly helps to us. There are innumerable practical benefits to living in real Christian community, one of which is friendship. 
it's we live in a culture that sometimes seems to elevate friendship above other relationships but also sometimes seems to undermine and and not see the real the real life transforming value of friendship most of our um most kids that are growing up nowadays in our culture have a closer tie to their friends than they do to their parents and that's that's not a good thing that's a detriment but god calls us into friendships in local community in real community because in friendship there's strength in friendship there's added strength to our lives we've got someone else walking through life with us there's the benefit of accountability someone to help me stay on the right track someone to help me stay faithful someone to help me deal with the bad and the sin in my life the hurt and the brokenness there's personal and spiritual growth that's able to happen in the context of real, vibrant community. There's instruction. There's a reason we have small groups. And there's, there's a reason why we have sermons on Sunday mornings. There's a reason why we teach our kids through the catechism. Because we need to be instructed. And in the local church, what we have here, there's opportunity for ministry. Opportunity for ministry within the body and outside the body in the world. There's the opportunity of a shaped life where God invites us to the fire. Invites us to be shaped by one another. And there's a sense of togetherness that God offers to us or camaraderie. A sense of being on the same team and headed in the same direction. A sense of being in something together. Something bigger than ourselves, bigger than who we are, but we're in it together and we're in it beside one another. I don't know about you, but I look forward to this on Sunday mornings. There are some weeks when not when I don't quite look as forward to it as, as I normally do, and that's got nothing to do with you. Honestly, it doesn't. It, um, it's typically weeks where I feel like, man, I'm ill-prepared and I'm, this is going to be bad. But I love what we have here. I look forward to this. I'm glad my kids do the same. That's a practical benefit to what we have here. Again, If our culture is ever to be healed, it'll be through the renewal of the local church. Because in the local church, in this context, in what God is calling us to here as this body, God is getting us past ourselves. He's getting us past numero uno. Jesus calls us into radical, imposing fellowship with one another. He is concerned with the world. 
He is concerned with our culture. He is able to do something. But what me what we must realize is that we can't sit around and wring our hands about what's going on out there and say, Lord, why won't you do something? When he is looking in here and saying, Church, why don't you do something? I'm ready to transform your culture. I'm ready to show the world my great love and faithfulness. But I need ready and willing participants. He created us for this. And He calls us into this imposing radical fellowship with one another. Again, if our our culture is ever to be healed, it'll be through the renewal of the local church. It will not happen otherwise. Let's pray.